In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. I'm not sure how we got here, but this is the third Sunday of Advent. It feels like it's going really, really fast to me. In fact, I was just saying to a couple of people before the service that I wish Advent was longer. I think it's one of my favorites. And four Sundays just doesn't feel like enough. And yet, here we are. This Sunday in particular in Advent, we remember and we give thanks for Mary, which probably doesn't seem like what you were expecting, since she doesn't really appear in the readings all that much. But this Sunday in particular, in many places, actually is her Sunday. And what we do get from her today is the Magnificat, that magnificent piece (coughs) that the choir just sang, her proclamation of hope. These words that she says, they come in the midst of a really lovely encounter between her and her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, as you know, if you remember the story, is also carrying a child. She's carrying John the Baptist. And when you read this story in the text, at the very beginning of it, it it tells this lovely story about how Mary goes to see her cousin, and even when she's at a distance, Elizabeth knows that something is different because the child in her womb begins to leap. John knows that the one for whom he will prepare the way is there somehow. And so he begins to jump around. And Elizabeth knows that something is different, and so she says to Mary, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so already in this sort of little exchange, we have both Elizabeth and John playing their roles, living into God's prophecy, preparing the way of the Lord. But it's Mary's words maybe that we remember most, particularly if you grew up in different traditions. This might be something that you actually remember, that you had to memorize. Mary, who willingly consented to this holy task that the angel Gabriel gives her. Mary, who must have already known that there was something special about the (coughs) child that she was carrying. But Mary, who I have to believe also in some ways, like all of us, was also sort of slowly waking up to the truth of the world around her. And moments like this between her and Elizabeth had to make it somehow a little more real and a little more tangible that this remarkable thing was happening. And so she comes out with these incredible words that we have passed down from generation to generation. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. When was the last time you offered a prayer of thanksgiving to God that was so honest and vulnerable and unequivocal for anything? When was the last time you were willing to hand yourself over like that completely? Mary goes on then in her words to proclaim the gospel. And I think probably actually she's the first one to do it. There's plenty of other people who get credit for that later. But knowing Jesus already, she is the first one to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. 
good news of restoration and renewal for the poor, for the outcast, for the oppressed. Good news about the God who makes these promises and who actually intervenes and begins to build them so that we all can choose a better way, a better path, a better life. Speaking of paths and roads and things, I want you to think back, if you will, to the last time you were on the highway. I know that's a bit of a switch, but go with me. Where were you going the last time you were on the highway? What was it like? Did you get on the Merit? Did you get on 95? Where did you go? I will confess to you that I really hate the highway deeply and abidingly. I'm one of those people that will go around for 20 or 30 extra minutes just to avoid it. My kids are going to love that someday. I can't wait. (laughs) But before the pandemic, when I was the chair of the Commission on Ministry for a few years, I drove all over this great state, and I was on far too many highways, and I'm just kind of weary of it. I'm weary of the way that they seem to stretch out forever. I'm weary of how long it takes to get places and especially weary of the way that people seem to treat each other on them, right? Even completely rational people that you love get in a car and they get on the highway and they turn into monsters, right? And we just allow this to happen on the highway, like it's okay. Now I like to move along and make progress as much as the next person, but it sort of slays me the way that people are so angry and reckless with their own lives and the lives of others. So I avoid the highway at all costs. And still, it's a helpful metaphor for us, I think, this morning. We join the highway in a particular place. We go, at least on one side, all in the same direction. Theoretically, we follow kind of the same rules, as long as you're not one of those people who's you know, weaving in and out and scaring people. We all take the same route for a while even though our destination might be a little different. This morning, and and elsewhere, but especially this morning in the text from Isaiah, we hear a lot about highways. And in this case, I think it's a very specific kind of highway that echoes what we've been hearing from John for the rest of this season. John, who came to prepare the way for the Lord, to make his path straight, so that people could hear Jesus and see him and be as prepared for him as any of us really could be. But what Isaiah describes sounds altogether different. It's the kind of highway that makes you think of green in the desert and water coming from rock and life coming from death. It's a different kind of destination, a good one to be sure. I think you have the sense of some kind of speed on it, some kind of real motion. It doesn't just go on and on forever. What Isaiah is describing is a different kind of highway, a a good highway, a highway to God. And forgive me, I can't help myself, even a highway to heaven. (laughs) See, would you have missed that? Come on, you wouldn't have walked past that either. In the gospel, though, John sends his disciples to Jesus. John is in prison, can't go himself, and he wants to know if Jesus is the one coming into the world or if they're to wait for another. He doesn't remember 
jumping in Elizabeth's womb, and certainly we can't fault him for that. Maybe the concerns of the world have made it hard for him to see. Maybe the people that he's served, the people that he's loved, the people that he's seen hurt, makes it hard for him to hear Jesus' words. Maybe he just wants the certainty, the assurance. And on some level, I'm not sure that any of us can blame him for that. He wants to hear Jesus say, yes, John, I am he. I am here. But Jesus wants something different, which is so often true. Jesus wants to be known for his deeds, by his work, by what he does. Jesus wants John to know and to trust that God has acted by what he sees and by what the people around him see, the miracles, the healing, the reconciliation of the outcast, the good news that Jesus seems to pour out everywhere. Good news for the sick and the lonely and the outcast, the grieving and the poor and the oppressed. Jesus wants John to know him literally as the living proof of Mary's words, of Mary's prophecy. Now we know, all this time later, most of us, on good days, that he is the one who came into the world. And we know that in large part because of what he did, because of the story that's been passed down, and in some cases, I think, in our own experience. This week, somebody who's not here said to me, well, you know, I just love this part of the season, you know, this, this magic that we all have at this time of year. And when I pressed further, that magic mostly seems to be whether we do it for the kids or not, mostly seems to be about the kindness, the sort of slightly deeper well of kindness, the slightly more palpable hope. The fact that people sometimes, though not all the time and certainly not on the highway, (laughs) treat each other a little bit better. And all of this sort of comes together and reminds me, and I hope will remind you, of what Jesus is really calling us to do. See, as Christians, we have the ability to have this magic all the time, and we can inspire it in others. John, the other John the Evangelist, not John the Baptist, puts a fine point on this in the Gospel when he quotes Jesus as saying, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we too are invited to be known and recognized for what we do, for how we love, for how we serve. And I wonder if this isn't about how we build the highway in the desert, that place of refreshment that is present for people in broken and dry places, that palpable presence of hope and kindness and love. What if this season, this this time, this way through, actually sunk into our bones a little bit more and lasted a little bit longer and changed us so that we too became kinder and more loving, not just for the few days of Christmas, but all year long. What if we were known, not by our words, by the way we describe ourselves or the labels we take, 
What if we wanted, like Jesus, to be known for the good things that we do, for the ways that we love, for the ways that we give, for the good news we bring? Now, if that sounds like a lot, I understand. We certainly don't have to be just like Jesus, though the invitation is to follow him. But big miracles don't have to be your expertise. If you heard that list in the gospel and thought, wow, that's quite a list. If you haven't found yourself walking on water lately, raising the dead, curing the sick, multiplying loaves and fish, that's okay. If you have, I hope you'll come tell me about that because I'd really like to hear it. But if you, sort of like the rest of us, haven't found that to be your vocation in the last little bit, I'm willing to bet that there are other smaller miracles that you participate in every day. Some that you notice and some that you don't. And I'm willing to bet that there are other smaller miracles that you could participate in with us here more often. That you could be part of starting or sharing or passing along. I think part of the magic of this season is that we often do stop to notice just a little bit more. They're there, I think, these little miracles. We just don't always see them. We just don't always stop to pay enough attention to them. Perhaps those little miracles are the way that we sort of slowly pave that highway and prepare the way of the Lord to work hard enough to be the good news and to carry the good news, not only with our words, but in what we actually do, not just today, but all year long, to level the playing field for our neighbors, to give so that everyone has what they need, to love so that everyone knows they belong. It sounds so simple, but it's really hard to do. Maybe this is how we build a highway through the chaos and the anxiety of our world through the tragedy and the pain that so many of us experience, through the uncertainty and the disappointment of this world, so that all of God's people can journey together to what sounds like new life and refreshment and renewal, so that we can have that for ourselves and for our families. It's a highway, <laughs> and I do, I do really love Isaiah's description of this highway, that not even a fool could get lost. That should make us all feel better, seriously. It's the promise that no matter what you've done, no matter how long it's been, no matter where you've gone, no matter what you think you've messed up, no matter how long it's been since you've prayed, no matter what your what is, if you can hang on to Jesus in this season, you can end up on that highway where you cannot get lost, no matter how you think you're messing it up. That's pretty great. And great to think that everyone else goes with us. We arrive together. And just like when we do when we come to this table, we all receive in equal measure. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's the magic of this season. Maybe that's the, the way that we build the highway. Maybe that's the way that we all journey to God together by learning to love not just ourselves, which is also important, but each other. Learning to be kind. Learning to share that <laughs> That thing we call the magic of the season, which really is about hope. Hope that things will change. Hope that things will be better. Hope that lives in our very soft, 
vulnerable, breakable hearts. Hearts that, by the way, do miraculous things when no one else is looking. Next week on Sunday, for the fourth Sunday of Advent, we will have our beloved pageant. And I will not preach the way that I normally don't. Maybe I'll do a reflection for a minute or two. But this is the last preaching that I'm going to do in Advent. And so I wanted to bring a couple of pieces together for you and to invite you to hold on to a couple of very specific things as we make our way to Christmas. Hold on to Mary's hope. Notice that her hope isn't just about her and her child. It's hope for the world. Hold on to John's joy when he leaps in the womb. Imagine what it would be like for joy to take place in your body that way. Let that shape the way that you love your neighbor, knowing that Jesus is already with you. And last, John's desire to know for sure, all those years later, that Jesus is the one. Carry that desire with you to find him, to see him, to serve him, and to know that he is here, the one who came into the world and the one who is coming again. And if you can do all of those things, if you can hold on to that hope, and joy and desire, then I'm pretty sure that together we can make a fair amount of magic and be part of building that highway and choosing a better path, not just for us, but for everyone. A path of hope, of love, of good news, not just for today, not just for two weeks, but forever. Amen.